0: I get the opening line of season two.
1: (laughs) I don't know why that is. Why do you get the opening line? (laughs) Because I've been planning it. I'm planning to start season two. So,
0: Anne, can we get, like, right into the podcast? Or first, do we need to process over what I did to your wife this summer? I sold my house this summer
1: and did an amazing job, and it nearly killed her. Is Anne's, that a fair summary? Anne's wife, who has boundaries, would say, I did not sell your house, Liz. I am not a realtor. <laughs> Anne's wife caused your house to be more saleable than it was when she arrived.
0: My experience of this summer was not, in fact, that your wife had excellent boundaries, for which I am very grateful. <laughs> My experience was that
1: she took over and did a great job and didn't leave anything on my plate. She only has excellent boundaries around not legally misrepresenting herself as a realtor since she's given (laughs) up her license.
0: Oh my god, it was amazing. So I had like seven summers planned into this summer. And so I was going to build a house with my own two hands. And I was going to sell my old house and fix it up and downsize everything I owned to fit into John's closet. Like I had a lot of things. Oh, and two conferences and dance camp. And a life. A bit of a life also. No, I, I didn't plan a life. And it would have been a disaster. But Lori, who used to be a realtor, took over and was like, I, I paid her, but not enough. And took over like... <laughs> This is, I'm going to get your house ready to go because I have realtor training. I know what things are worth it and what things aren't. She did all the subcontracting. She did the painting. She took care of the yard and garden. It was incredible. But I think maybe it killed her. And by the end of the summer, I was like, am I still going to be their friend? <laughs> or is she going to start twitching
1: every time she sees me? But she seems to have forgiven me. As a public service <laughs> announcement, I would just like to say, Laurie is not dead. <laughs> Just for anybody <laughs> who thinks that might be the case, Lori is not dead. Of course, if of course. Lori were dead, there would be not this kind
0: of giggling. There would that be would no laughably on me. There would be no
1: podcast. <laughs> if you killed yes, my wife, would no, it would be very sad. No, no, that's not what I did to Anne's wife. Let's be clear. Right. So for the record, I think what Lori did was volunteer to help you work on your house and then said, <laughs> "You know what you need is a this and a this and a this." And Liz said, "Great. Go ahead." That is my leadership style. (laughs) It was, I think it was a wise choice on your part. Your house was beautiful when she was done with it. It was
0: gorgeous. It wasn't Mm -hmm. just her, like Blake and Jamie and Wendy and everybody. Like, Mm -hmm. it was an everyone pitch. My entire summer has been people pitching in to save my ass. And it's been really amazing. A little bit hard because that's not what I'm used to, but also a spiritual growth
1: experience. It was a spiritual growth experience on a very tight timeline. (laughs) Let's grow people. Let's grow, 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 Okay, so if you would like to grow very quickly, hang out with Liz. <laughs> that is right. Hi, high timeline growth. How was your summer off, Anne? Oh, my summer off was about 14 months long. <laughs> like literally. Literally. You remember back when we said we'd take a summer off from podcasting? That wasn't this summer. <laughs> if we don't mention it, maybe people won't notice. That's right. Good work. I didn't actually get a summer off because now I have a regular people job. Well, you got last summer off like a year ago. Okay. But in the 14 month <laughs> scheme of thing, I did not get this summer off.
0: Yeah, I'm so sorry. That's
1: okay. It's just, it's a big change. How do you like having a real job slash two real jobs slash three if you count me? I, um, I love my new jobs. I work for the Canadian Unitarian Council as a congregational life staff for the western half of Canada. Half a country. That Let me tell them what that means. Okay. That means if, you're, if there's a problem in your congregation, you call Anne and she fixes it. She also comes for celebrations and light and happiness. Oh, really? Yes, I know. <laughs> it's just you thinking problems. People also celebrate. They create new organizations and pick new names and do happy things and celebrate anniversaries and all kinds of nice things. Yeah. I was just trying to get you to correct me. Well... You have been successful. Your other thing is... So my full-time job is working with the CUC. And my contract, I spent the spring and now I'm spending the fall with Capital, which is a congregation in Victoria.
0: And they're like one of my favorites in the whole world. They feel like rainbows and light. They, I really, lovely. they were the first one I visited other than Saskatoon. And I still remember, like, I wanted to write a letter to their board being like, it's so much fun to visit your congregation because I'm that kind of
1: nerd. I did oh, not, but I go thought ahead. They would love that. <laughs> they would love that it's never too late to send a happy message to a board boards open emails and think oh no what now so happy messages are a really nice game changer for them
0: it will look like I'm trolling for business if I do that because I I love working with them it's
1: really fun and it's a time-limited contract so you have the magic of being pre-fired it's like doing interim ministry they just invited me in to come and help them with some stuff And I just got to spend a weekend with them and it was lovely. So, so you sold your house? Yes. So I did two trips in the van to each of the big
0: Unitarian conferences. And that was Ottawa? It was Ottawa and Pittsburgh. And I remember because Pittsburgh (laughs) is gorgeous. That was incredibly fun, but like an absolute whirlwind of driving and busy and wonderfulness. And then I got back and I had like two weeks to clear everything out of my house that I owned into fit into a closet at John's house which was the most wonderful experience I cannot tell you Anne like all of my life I have felt burdened by stuff having
1: many children means you have much stuff being a Liz means you have much stuff no it used to you
0: always you thought did. that because I've always had I remember children. <laughs> how many purses you
1: had I still have a
0: lot of purses you need purses so like every time I picked up an object and set it in the giveaway box I thought I am ah. touching you for the last time this is it and I took like van load after van load of stuff to Value Village and I would say goodbye stuff goodbye stuff and then when the house sold I said goodbye house <laughs> and now I live nomadically and Yay. it's very exciting oh yes. Yeah, so then I moved up to the farm and I built a tiny house with my own two hands by which I mean uh with my hands and John's dad's right hands because uh, it would have been a disaster if it had been just me and he was supposed to like just tell me how to do the various parts but in fact worked with me all day every day and it was like a gift of a magnitude I can't even fathom how much time and energy he put into this house and into helping me and you know what you want to say when someone gives you a gift that's too big where you're like oh you don't have to do that and I was like well but if I don't you won't be able to build this house because you don't know how and I was like yeah yeah <laughs> I really, really, really want you to do this. I kept trying to say some version of, oh, no, you could help a little less, except I really needed all that help. And it was incredible. Like, I just felt so lucky. And there was this feeling of, I didn't think I could do a whole bunch of things. But it turns out that sometimes when you think you're incompetent, you learn by trying a thing. And then when you hit a snag, somebody helps you. And being in a position to have someone giving me that much help made me have so much more sense of the potential that I have as a person. Like, I can't not even speak intelligibly about this. It was such an amazing gift. Well, and John's
1: parents are such lovely people.
0: We had so much fun together. It was a lot of fun living up there. But I really bonded with John's mm-hmm. parents. And now, like, I came back and everything, <laughs> John's like, he wants to do this. And I'm like, well, your mother and I agree. Your mother and I agree We use, you use too much smoke in the smoker. Your mother and I agree that... <laughs> and we were driving back from dance camp we were like trying to decide whether or not to keep driving or whether to pull over and sleep and i said well your mother's not comfortable with you driving at night and john just got this look of horror (laughs) on his face like what has happened here there has been a transference of power
1: John's mother and I have
0: unionized, is what has
1: happened. They really have. And I think it's really fun because at the same time, are we allowed to tell the humans that you were there with her, helping her um, build her social media platform? Because, oh, on over this <laughs> summer, she just, you know, negotiated a book deal. She got a book deal, the first letter she sent out. I know, it's all those stories about you have to get a thousand rejection letters. I was like, oh, she has just... Ruined my plan for not dying not, when I get rejection letters. <laughs> not a single rejection one letter. One yes sign here. So, how about you? What? How many houses have you built this summer? I haven't built any, but um, we renovated one and moved out of it and came to Saskatoon since we last talked on the podcast. You're including fourteen months in your summer. <laughs> Yeah, well it I still feel the pain, let me just say <laughs> selling your house. Yeah. Oh, did you do it or did Lori do it? Okay, Lori did actually sell that house. <laughs> she was the realtor. And then she stayed in it, you know, nursing her COVID all by herself um oh. while she waited for possession to transfer. But oh. it was beautiful. And now we don't have a house either, and I have to say that there is a part of my heart that does not mind Goodbye. that either. Stop. We were fortunate because leaving Edmonton meant I was taking some serious time off to rethink my possibilities and selling the house meant that we had a, enough money that I could take mm-hmm. a couple of months off, which was a real gift in my life that I have not had the like. So self-care. you did take last summer off for like five months, I would just point out. You, you just made a face. It had nothing to do with you. I was revisiting the trauma of last summer because we didn't actually stop, <laughs> you know, renovating and things until the end of summer. So you took
0: your summer off in the middle of winter, which I would like to say is not the best decision for Saskatchewan person. In Saskatoon,
1: but (laughs) turns out not any worse than Edmonton. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much the same city. That's right, and it has you. Yes, that's
0: true, which we didn't freaking see each other for like, okay, people, you need to understand, we didn't see each other for six months
1: after she moved to Saskatoon. It was surreally weird. One of us was very, very busy. Oh, which one of us was very, very busy? Not me. I took six months off. I felt like it was your fault that we didn't see each other for six months. And there you have it, humans. We <laughs> communicate poorly.
0: <laughs> it was definitely your fault. I have the edit, so I'm just going to remove any of your defenses because you've still oh, left me with the edit. Which is I still why have the comments. Fourteen months between podcasts. I still podcast have episodes. the comments. <laughs> Okay, so you took a big chunk of time to rejigger and connect and decide, and you've got new jobs, and that is exciting and interesting, but housing and jobs is not, like, life. What is going on in the meat of your life? How is your soul? How is, <laughs> where do you live? How is the
1: theme of your... No, where do <laughs> you live? That's boring. How are the big spiritual themes in your life going? Well, I would say that the current wave of life right now is all about boundaries, It's about knowing where one thing begins and one thing ends. (laughs) That's funny because my life theme is not boundaries. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm not going to argue that point. (laughs) Is this like your, what was your yearly theme 16 months ago? (laughs) I'm going to have to think about that for a minute. What was your theme, Liz? It was supposed to be savor
0: all this year. And I have done as much as I can of savoring in between all the speed, but mostly it has
1: been turkey arms. She's like, I think you better explain the turkey arms for those who have <laughs> not kept up on your Facebook.
0: Okay, Liz, the editor from the future here. What follows now is like a, several long minutes of me incoherently rambling, trying to explain the turkey arm thing. So instead, I'm going to cut all of that in the edit, and I'm just going to read the post from Facebook. It starts with an image with me with my elbows in front of me and my arms pointed straight up. Image and link in the show notes if you need them. Okay, the post goes. These are turkey arms. They represent a powerful teaching. I'm actually not a particularly good contra dancer. I get mixed up a lot and then I sow confusion and chaos all around me. Or I did until I learned about turkey arms. The caller had us do this dance with the kids where there are farmers paired with turkeys and as things sped up and sped up there was whirling and twirling and sometimes people got separated. And when this happened you were supposed to make turkey arms and some farmer would find you and you would just continue with them. Fun and chaos ensued, and Sue explained that you can use turkey arms whenever you are lost in any contradance, and people will see you and put you in the right spot. This works. I can tell you because I tested it a lot. Turkey arms is also a good metaphor. For how when you're lost, it's good to own up and not be afraid to make turkey arms. Cause it's not the first mistake that creates the chaos, it's the failure to let people find you and help you. Fun fact. The 16 beats you get for Swing Your Partner is not enough time to explain the spiritual metaphor and life lesson that is turkey arms, even if you are a very fast talker. If you try, you will mess up the next move. Which will be okay, because turkey arms! Finally freed of anxiety over destroying the line, I could pay attention to the process of my turkey rehabilitation, and this is what I learned. The other dancers don't mind the mistakes. I only imagined that they scowled at the chaos. When I actually looked, I saw that the response to a line falling apart was laughter. The line falling apart and getting fixed is fun. I think it's like that a lot in life. When you are the turkey needing to find your spot, it's easy to imagine that you are wrecking things. It's easy to forget that chaos can be joyful and part of the dance. And that helping another person is one of the great joys of being human. Not always, but often. More often than we imagine. All summer long, I kept thinking about turkey arms, about how I would get overwhelmed. And I'd be like, oh, man, I can't manage this. And Laurie! And I'd make my turkey arms. And then Laurie would come along and put me in the right spot. Or Aww. Doug would come along and show me how to use a screwdriver. And there's just been so many people helping me and being the wind at my back that it was very much my now yearly theme is turkey arms instead of saver. But I tried with the saver. I listened to a lot of books about Buddhism but they
1: just made me grumpy and I tried meditating,
0: which actually kind of went pretty well. But mostly it's the turkey
1: arms. So you're the turkey that needs 14 farmers. Is that what you're saying? Yes, it needs a lot of farmers to raise this turkey. Do the contradancing people call it turkey arms or is it just a gesture? Well, uh, so... They do now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, Sue.
1: <laughs> what was your theme? So I in I think my theme was right. Because I thought I had all this time that I wasn't going to... R-I-G-H-T. Oh, I wish it was (laughs) R-I-G-H-T. But it was W-R-I-T-E. And unlike John's mum, I did not write a book. Therefore, it would be very complicated trying to sell it. (laughs) (laughs) I did a bunch of work and then I didn't like it. And then I changed my mind. And then I did a bunch of work and then I didn't like it. And then I changed my... This is a story that isn't going to go very well. So I'll just stop there. (laughs) Um... So I think, in fact, that my theme has turned out to be choose. You need to know when to choose something Mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And that there is always a choice. You don't have to stick with the thing that isn't working. You can make a different choice. So you abandoned the book and came
0: back to the podcast with your friend because you discovered you like talking more than writing? (laughs) Well,
1: apparently (laughs) I just can't stop talking. The book is only on sabbatical. Yes, you'll come back to yeah, it. It's a long sabbatical. <laughs> I love
0: choose as a theme. I've been thinking a lot about intentionality because I am choosing to live in a very weird way mm. now with the van and the tiny house and the experimenting. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll hate it and then I'll have to live like a normal person. You get again.
1: to choose.
0: But yeah, that is when your children leave home, all of a sudden you get to choose how you're going to live your life. And it's very exciting.
1: I think that's why. some of the choices. I think that's why a lot of the times when kids come home, you know, for the holidays, they discover their room is turned into a sewing room or an exercise room or a meditation (laughs) room. Guess what, honey? You chose. And then I chose. You moved. I renovated. Yay.
0: There's a trapeze room in the tiny house. (laughs) There's not a bathroom, there's
1: just a toilet closet, but there is a trapeze room because choose. (laughs) For me, choose has not been so much about a list of fantastic choices I have made as it has been about (laughs) remembering that you get to make a choice, right? That if it, if it isn't going the way you thought it was going to go, or you're not happy, or you want something different, do something different. All that to say, I'm not ungrateful for the time I spent slogging through the book. Because it really helped me work mm. out a lot of stuff and helped me decide what I wanted to do. I, I've already figured out what next year's theme is going to be, though. Oh, yeah. you can't tell them. You can't tell me until the Okay, I podcast. just want to announce that I am lowering the stakes. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> next, next year's theme is easier. So I remember one day when we were talking about how everything is a choice, which could be like a whole podcast episode on its own because mm-hmm. people get really resisty sometimes when you say everything is a choice. Oh, people who want to say, but this horrible thing has happened to me and
0: I can't do anything or better. Or like
1: I have no other choices, right? I don't mm-hmm. I don't have the ability. Oh, I think we always have choices. But mm-hmm. I remember the last time we were talking about this, you gave me a whole speech about what's important important to you these days Do you remember? oh the agency
0: agency thing yeah mm. so i was listening to uh a psychiatrist or psychologist or something in a one of podcast those-ists. series yeah somebody who i thought had a really interesting take on mental health and they were talking about it from the perspective of not uh what are the diseases and how to avoid them but what is mentally healthy so the equivalent of eating well and exercising but for your brain and one of the things that he brought up that correlates heavily with mental health under his framework i haven't researched the papers to read it but uh is agency and gratitude so Mm. I don't think it's very robust which way the connection goes like we don't know that agency and gratitude cause mental health mental health may cause agency and gratitude although there is some evidence that particularly gratitude um causes mental health right and I found that really interesting because I think I sometimes overexpose myself to things that undermine (laughs) agency and gratitude
1: (laughs) gratitude okay i'm just (laughs) laughing at you overexposing yourself
0: (laughs) um gratitude i'm not worried about because i'm a naturally grateful person like right no matter what is going on when i was homeless i was like how fortunate that i'm homeless in canada best country to be homeless you don't you don't
1: have to try
0: to be grateful (laughs) yeah my brain is just just wired for you. i'm so lucky because there are some people whose brains are wired for eeyore and i can't imagine what it would be like to live like that that is very hard ironically i'm very grateful that my brain is wired for gratitude (laughs) (laughs) yay go with gratitude agency is a really tricky one and i've been thinking about this as i've become more acquainted with that there are more things i can do than i think i can do Mm -hmm. um because my experience with having really strong learning disabilities was school i tried and tried and tried and i didn't understand how my brain worked so i couldn't achieve any success right and then when People said, oh, your brain works a little differently. Here's how you blah, 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 ADHD, etc. There's this tremendous relief in that. When people say you were trying and you didn't succeed because you can't. Your brain is wired this
1: way and you need these supports and you need people to help you in this way and you need all these things. Turkey, Right. It's a tool then. Right. Yeah. Like like it's you've you've been given this gift of understanding why something is hard and now you can just take some steps and do things differently. Right.
0: It's wonderful, but the dose makes the poison. It's like, that's a saying about different drugs. However, much of it, it can okay. be good or it can be bad, depending on how much. So my point about the dose makes the poison has more to do with like morphine. It's a helpful drug at a certain dose, and then it kills you if you take too much. Okay. Many, many, many drugs are like this. I get it. And this piece of, this is harder for you. Like, let's say you have ADHD. It's harder for you to use your executive function that is one of those things where the dose makes the poison. A little bit of that allows you to become unparalyzed and think more creatively and get, get out of your shame and blame cycle. And be adaptive, too much, right? And, and to be adaptive. understand what
1: you need, what you too need Too much to of
0: that message undermines your sense of agency. And then you start to think of yourself as a larger part of your identity becomes, I am disabled in these ways. And you get or at least I found that I got power out of
1: it, right? So-and-so needs to help me because I can't do this and I have this challenge and blah, 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 blah. So you're talking about leaning into the I can't do it part instead of leaning Mm -hmm. into the knowledge that your brain works differently and instead of just figuring out what accommodations you need or how you need to adapt, Mm -hmm. you're leaning into the this is so hard and now I can't do things.
0: Yeah, and I found that the more I thought of things in terms of what I can't do, or what Mm -hmm. is harder for me than for other people, even though that's true, right? It's a thought that undermines your sense of agency. And Uh. so working on the working on the farm, farmer attitude isn't really heavily on this is why I can't do this. And this is my best learning environment. And this is my blah, 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 you just do it. Like I remember at one point saying to john, how am I going to work when it gets hot? What do farmers do? And john's like,
1: They just work and be hot and they don't complain about it. (laughs) Or they wear a hat and they put a wet cloth around their neck or they ride in an air-conditioned tractor. Then we nap. Turns in the middle of the day. There are tricks. There are things.
0: But there is a lot of part of that culture is you just, you're getting the thing done. And I learned a lot from that. That... Mm fostered me becoming more and more capable which fostered more and more of a sense of agency which is ironic because doug really did a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of the hard parts of this house we are all shocked comparative agency (laughs) (laughs) but that's a really valuable thing and it's a thing that i i just found that an interesting learning
1: Yeah, well, with the house, like, you could have said, I don't know how to do this thing, and it's really, really hard, Doug. And then he could have rescued you and done all of the things. Which he would have, but I didn't want to do that. And also, he probably doesn't (laughs) want you to stay there forever. In fact, we almost had the
0: opposite, where, like... When I put in the screw, it takes me five times as long. So Doug would stand there and watch me put in this right. screw and he could have put in five screws. So he can't
1: wait for you to put in all of the screws because it's going to take a year. But I remember when we were first putting down the the floor, I'm putting
0: in these screws and he's going behind me, putting in all the screws behind me. <laughs> it's like, because in addition to some mental challenges, I actually, my fine motor skills is in the fifth percentile. I have very bad fine motor skills. It's just, just takes me longer. Okay. All. So I'm trying to learn how to do screws, which I did learn eventually. Doug's behind me putting in all the screws and I'm like, Doug, Doug, I'm going to do it. I'm building the house. I do myself. My house. And he, Every time I'm not <laughs> looking. <house>. See this <laughs> screw over here. I did this every one. Every time I'm not looking, he's putting in screws. <laughs> Finally, I turn to Doug. I'm like, Doug, I can't build a house without knowing how to put in a screw. Right now, for the floor, I get to go straight down, and the weight of the screwdriver is helping me, and I have a straight angle, and I'm not leaning. When should I be learning to put right. in screws? Right now on the floor because I've got this great opportunity, or do you want to do it for me, and then I'm going to have to learn it on the walls when I'm reaching out and around a corner? Oh,
1: that doesn't seem like that did convince help. Doug.
0: So then he just started cleaning up and cutting
1: roof. <laughs> Please, off. God, let her learn when it's straight down. <laughs> the, key, the key was to threaten him. You have to watch me learn at some point, Doug. <laughs> Well, and probably going straight down, you didn't need any of his body parts to be involved. So the risk is lower. I don't understand at all what you mean by that. You know, like he's not helping you hold things where you're going to injure him. He never held the screws. (laughs) So he's a wise man as well as kind and generous. I also broke my pinky finger and I was very stoic. Oh, how did you break your... Nobody can see the bump. How did you break your (laughs) finger? I hit it with a tool. Well, it got hit with a tool. Aww. Um, and I—I I mean, I don't know for
0: sure because I didn't go in because I was so stoic. You're tough. Yeah, but it was—it was like a weird kind of pain that lasted way too long. Mm. And then, like a week later, I've noticed that there's this deformity in my finger. I think I fractured my pinky at the wow. very tip. So do you see that's how a war wound. Stoic I am. You are amazing. That I didn't want. I didn't post about it on Facebook because i was suffering silently like i can't suffer silently forever that's why i have to tell you now but if you suffer silently too silently and you don't narrate at all how do people know that you are suffering? right silently? the
1: narration is so important <laughs> right
0: but because doug reads my
1: facebook i couldn't say about my suffering silently with my warm wound there so now i save it for the podcast i think that's why people come to the crack cup they want to learn how to properly narrate their lives they have <laughs> suffering they have come to an expert
0: I thought you were going to say that they come here so that they can listen to all my suffering, which is like, these people yeah, are maladaptive. Yeah, no, no, not that. So does that make sense about agency? Like, I feel like it's, I feel like it is heresy to say because, because my ministry training has taught me that you're not supposed to fix it. You're supposed to say, how does that feel? And you're supposed to sit with people while it is hard and you're supposed to blah, 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 blah. So I feel like this focus on
1: agency is almost heresy. Does that make sense? So the if you're focusing on agency, then what would you oh, say instead? What space? I usually say, which is I have a list of four ways you
0: things you could do to make your life better. And then you say, Shh, you should just listen.
1: <laughs> Remember you kick me and I say ow? Oh. <laughs> I guess I think I think the point is you need to identify what the human came for, right? Sometimes the human come To be heard or to be seen. Sometimes the humans come for help. If the humans want practical advice, I think you are the excellent (laughs) person to come to. If the humans would just like to be heard and held, perhaps I would be the better choice. Okay, here's my question. When someone comes to me... What is the question? And they unburden
0: their soul and I start to say there's an app for that and they say, I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen. Right. Is it morally acceptable for me to say...
1: Then you should go talk to somebody else. Yes. Why did you pick me? I don't want to listen. When someone starts to share something challenging with me, I usually say, can you let me know what it is that you're looking for? Are you looking for advice? Are you just looking to be seen or heard? What mm-hmm. What is your hope in this moment? And if they say, yeah, I'm looking for an app to solve this, I would say, absolutely. (laughs) You know who you need? You need Liz. Liz is the app expert. That is who you need to call. So
0: if I feel people are wallowing, can I send them to you? Can this go both ways? (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: wallowing, that was a leap. We made a leap from (laughs) wanting to be seen or heard (laughs) to wallowing. So I I think what you're trying to say here is... Too much wallowing, not enough suck it up and figure out how to fix it. Is that what you're saying?
0: <laughs> the, I learned about sucking it up when I went to stay on the farm, man. Did you know about sucking it up? <laughs> I
1: have heard of sucking it up. It has crossed my path. <laughs> it described to me as toxic masculinity bullshit, but it actually does help build a house. I think perhaps you were talking about a binary extreme, <laughs> and perhaps somewhere in the middle is a human I want to hang out with. I would just not download the app. Yeah. If what I was looking for was to be heard. But I don't know if you have noticed that you you might not be the person I seek out <laughs> to do that with Right. So how can I You could say, you know what? I think what you're looking for is outside of my skill set. Oh. Oh. Not offensive. Less judgmental than suck it up, buttercup, right? Okay, if I say, I think what you're looking for is outside of my skill set, they'll say, I just want you to listen. And then I have to say, yes. And say, that's the skill set I'm not so good at. And you know what they'll think? Oh, I'd way rather be me than you. That's what they'll think. And see, you will have already improved their sense of power in the universe. Okay, excellent. Then I will give them an opportunity to set boundaries. See how boundary setting? This is you setting a boundary.
0: Right? The only
1: person who can set the boundaries in your life is you. So, oh, oh, good. I get to give my boundary speech now. (laughs) Yes. So you get to decide what you want and don't want and what you need and don't need. And when people come and they want something from you that you can't give or that you have a five minute tolerance for giving, Mm -hmm. you get to say, I have five minutes available. Is that enough for what you need? (gasps) And when they say no I was kind of hoping that you would just sit and listen to me this afternoon because I have some deep feelings you need to say well I have five minutes available so perhaps we can figure out who else we could use that five minutes to figure out who else would have an afternoon and would be a good set of ears for what you're talking you're so good at this stuff right you're so much better at being me than I am one of my favorite things in the world right now is the book "Set Boundaries, Find Peace." <laughs> I love that book, and you know what's been my big aha is that we think about setting boundaries as things we do to other people. <laughs> yes, you know I know do what I mean. Like if we you, do. you right, so you've got a you've got a kid that wants to I don't know sleep in your bed and. But they kick you in the head all night Mm -hmm. and you set a boundary about you can have a cuddle for half an hour and then you have to go to your bed Mm -hmm. or I'm going to the other bed or something like that. It turns out it's our boundaries that we're setting. Yeah, Like we think we're imposing that boundary on the kid, but it's us that actually has to have the boundary. If I don't want a kid in my bed, I have to have a boundary around kids in the bed. Rather than say something and wait for them to listen and do what you said. Well, you can say something to them, but it's the distinction is that you're not setting a boundary for the kid. You're setting a boundary for you. Your boundary is no kids in the bed after 30 minutes. Yeah. Or in my case, three, because I get so hot that I feel like I'm going to be ill. (laughs) Don't hug me anymore. I'm going to be sick. Not a, not a good thing. Not a good thing. So, but this boundary thing, like, We think that the people in our lives, like the children, they have no boundaries. They won't stay out of my bed. Turns out it's your bed. (laughs) But you feel like a bad person. Here's the problem is when... Why? Why do you feel
0: like a bad person? socially, when someone says, I don't want you to fix it, I just want you to listen. Societal wars are on their side, right? You're supposed to... When we say that, the person who's not listening is the bad person there. They need to learn to listen and not fix it.
1: Whereas if you... If you come to me to fix your car... That's true. ...you are a fool. Us. And I don't feel guilty for a minute. I say, I do not know how to fix this thing, but I have an automobile club card and I can call a tow truck or I can tell you where I take my car to be fixed. Or we can ask the neighbor. Apparently, he looks like he's very handy. Ah, Maybe I just think that I should know how to do this because I hang out with ministers and that's their trade.
0: Or you think
1: that that you should do it because that's what a good person or a good minister does. Absolutely. And what a good person or a good minister does is know their skills and know their limits.
0: And also, now that I think about it, you get to pick... (laughs) Now I'm fired up.
1: You get to pick which social interactions you participate in what way, right? So if I... Have exactly.
0: A, meet a new guy choose. and we go for coffee and we're visiting and getting to know each other. And he goes, I don't need you to talk to me. I need you to give me a blowjob. I get to choose whether or not to do that. <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? That is absolutely true. And do
1: you feel guilty? No,
0: I do not. Because that interaction, he gets to offer the interaction. I get
1: to decide whether or not I would like to partake in that interaction. And nobody has any right to expect things yeah. of you that you have not volunteered. Yeah, They can ask you, they can say, hey, I would really like this. Could I have That's true, he could say, what I'm looking for is not this, I'm looking for this. That's totally fine. And then I might feel a little bit bad, I might say, gosh, I'm sorry to disappoint you, because I see that this is what you were hoping for in this (laughs) transaction. Turns out But he does not get to say in a snotty voice, I don't need you to do this, I need you to do this thing, which
0: I have a right to expect. The way people say when they ask you to listen... They do say, I don't need you to fix it. I need you to listen. So I need to respond you to that it's... as an offer. <laughs>
1: do you think it's maybe because when they're pouring their tender heart out, you're typing on your phone? I don't type on my phone when I talk to people. That's that why was supposed it takes me joke. so long to
0: answer messages. That was a joke.
1: You were on an app.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I never, ever text in the middle of a heartfelt conversation.
1: Only plants versus zombies. Sometimes I might do, but I would not text. Okay. Good to know. Uh, now I want to see your hand. Right <laughs> Hands on the screen. Turkey hands arms. up. Let's see your hands. <laughs> turkey arms. Wait, we have two sets of turkey arms and no farmers. <laughs> no farmers. Now what are we the do? The farmers—they get you done. Anne. this is what I learned. I know. I married one. Oh yeah, she sold my house. Okay, we're back here, aren't we? <laughs>
0: been listening to the cracked cup podcast with liz james that's me and ann barker the one that was not me before the main credits i have exciting news ann and i are going to be co-presenters at elliot camp in washington state this year elliot is a uu camp but you do not have to be uu to go to it it runs december 28th to january 1st this round and if you have never been to a uu camp you are missing out there's programming like first thing in the morning that's me and Anne followed by a small group if you want to do that programming is also optional and then there's afternoons and evenings spent singing and playing board games and visiting and generally having an amazing amazing time U camps have been like a huge part of my community and my spiritual life since my kids were toddlers they're amazing I would say that they are way better than church except that would get me in trouble with Anne so I will just say that they are great and there's a link in the show notes where you can learn more this episode was edited by Emmanuel Barker and music was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. This season's Cracked Cup podcast has been made possible by the generous grant from the Canadian Unitarian Council and by the support of our community of monthly pledgers. If you'd like to become a saint, that's what we call those supporters, visit uuhistoricalsociety.com to learn more. The Cracked Cup is a Mirth and Dignity production.